You're listening to Cannabis Health Radio. Here are your hosts, Ian Jessup and Corey Yelland. Welcome to another edition of Cannabis Health Radio. I'm Ian Jessup. And I'm Corey Ellen. Today we're going to talk to two separate people about two different ailments. In the second interview, we'll hear from Jennifer May in California, who has three kids, all with autism and one with severe autism. She'll tell us her story about how cannabis helped her autistic son, Nathan. But first, we're going to London, Ontario, to talk to Jerry Malone. And uh, Jerry has uh, colon cancer, or had colon cancer. Jerry, how are you? Very good, Ian. How about yourself? I'm great. Tell us about uh, your cancer, Jerry, and uh, how you went through it. Bring listeners up to date. Okay, Ian. In 2012, I was uh, sent to the hospital for emergency surgery for a colon cancer tumor. Mm -hmm. I had that moved. The surgeon said she had it all. Five days later, everything inside me um, broke open, and I had a second surgery. Uh, six days after that, I started bleeding out internally, and I had the third surgery. And 33 days later, out of ICU, I left toting an ostomy bag. That was in um, September 2012. So you were in intensive care for over a month? Yes, sir. Wow, that's a long time. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So uh, what happened next? After that discharge, discharge day came... And they marched in and offered me chemo and radiation. I said, my surgeon told me she got it all, but she advised me there may be a rogue cell or two. I said, but I'm going to try a natural way of treating myself. So then they agreed to uh, test me and treat me every three months. So, so when you went, Jerry, sorry to interrupt, but when you said uh, to them that you're going to try an alternative method, what uh, what response did you get? They said I was taking a chance because... Rogue cells are normally what's going to be causing your cancer to come back, and we need to give you the chemo to eradicate your cancer. And did you tell them that you were going to try cannabis? I did not mention cannabis oil, but I didn't brush myself off as I smoked a doobie on the way in for any of my treatments, and I've worn my uh, my cannabis T-shirts. <laughs> <laughs> so they had a pretty good idea of what you were doing. <laughs> I would say. So tell us uh, what happened next. Then I decided, I, uh, the, the last week in ICU, I had my laptop that my wife brought into me. I had been under the impression that medicinal cannabis was just a hype from the stoners wanting a legal way of having their garbage. This was my thought at the time. Although, I had smoked and uh, uh, cannabis in the past, mm-hmm. but not excessively. <clears throat> so, I went and I sourced a pound. I followed all the instructions from Corey Yellen and everybody else on Phoenix Tears, and I got the oil going into me starting in, I believe it was October of 2012. Okay, Jerry, just uh, let me stop you there. You said you got a pound. Was it difficult to find a pound of marijuana? It was not difficult to find a pound, no. Okay. I had a a contact. I didn't know what he was involved in. I just simply asked him, and he came forth with a pound of Northern Lights for me. Okay. 
And so you made your own. Was that difficult? Uh, it was a bit scary at first, Ian, yes, but uh, I stuck with it and, and uh, tried to follow the instructions, you know, to the T. Uh, my first batch of oil was not all that good, and I think that's normal for everybody. But after about the third one, I, I got pretty good at it, and uh, I've been making it now since 2012, and I feel I'm pretty proficient at it. Okay. And what do you use as a solvent, Jerry? I use uh, isopropyl alcohol or naphtha. So you made your cannabis oil and uh, you started taking it. Take up the story from from there. I started taking it as per the instructions at the time. There's so much information that's come out, you know, the past few years. And uh, I would just take a piece of parchment paper. I would take the oil in the syringe and I would squeeze out tiny little drops all along the paper. I would put it in my fridge. And when I wanted a dose, I would just go and pick off a piece of the solidified oil, and I would eat it straight. And that's how I did for the, probably the first eight months. I just kept swallowing straight oil. But did you um, increase the dose every few days, Jerry, or was it the same amount all the way through? I was doing the same amount, Corey. I was pretty well comatose here, but I had done enough <laughs> reading. I had been, let's use the word, stoned a, a few times in the past. Mm-hmm. So I, I kind of knew what was happening to my body. So I would just sit in my easy chair and then it would be, you know, you get that feeling, oh, God, I'm going to pass out or something like that. And I would just go to bed and lie down and think of something nice in my past and uh, fall asleep for a bunch of hours. (laughs) So how much were you taking a day then, Jerry, approximately? Uh, I got up to over a gram a day in about three months. But you started out not, you weren't taking a gram a day when you first started. No, no, I was not, Corey. I was doing the, uh, the, the, the uh, what do you call it, the little, on a toothpick size, you know? Yes, yes. That they were recommending at first. So then, um, uh, going forward from there, probably in the second year, I caught on to a lot of stuff online here regarding capsules. So I started making my own uh, cannabis coconut oil capsules from 6.25 milligram all the way up to 400 milligrams. Tell us what uh, happened next. After you started taking this for, what, three months now? Did, yes. Did you go back for another uh, test? Oh, okay, yes. In the, in the first year, I had a scan and blood work every three months. Mm-hmm. Everything was clean. Year two, they let me go for a whole, whole year. Everything was clean. All the while, I was dosing. Year three is when they found the spot on my lung a little seven centimeter or something. And that's when they used the word again, giving me a PET scan and a biopsy to eradicate my cancer. Mm -hmm. I refused that too, and I went home, and I started dosing heavy, just like I did in the beginning. And I did that for between somewhere between two and three months, Ian. Mm -hmm. And I went back and had a scan and no spot. Voila. Yeah. Did, uh, Did they say anything to you? (laughs) <laughs> I said something to them. The oncologist held up the, the, the printout showing me the CT scan on the right from earlier and the CT scan on the left from the one that they had just done. And she pointed out, she said, well, she said, it might have just been a blemish. She said, Lee, we weren't sure. That's why we wanted to give you a biopsy. I said, no, you said you wanted to eradicate my cancer. She said, well, that too. I said, this is the same thing they told me when I was checking out of the hospital four years ago. They want to eradicate my cancer. 
I said, looking at these images, would you not say that I've done a pretty good job of eradicating my own cancer? With that, her jaw dropped. She turned around and walked away from me. Her eyes rolled up in her head like, you know, when you're frustrated with somebody. And she turned and walked away from me. Yeah. Uh, what do your friends uh, say about uh, what you're doing? I would say 99% of my friends are behind me 100%. Now, interesting enough, I had a sister uh, a few months ago, and she's got uterine cancer. And mm-hmm. I approached her, and I said, I'm sorry to hear all about your troubles, my friend, but I've got I've got what you need in my fridge here. So get down here, and we'll talk about it. Yeah. The answer to that was, Jerry, I don't want nothing to do with that garbage you're using. <laughs> That's my own sister. Yeah, but everybody else, Ian, I, I've had, I've had uh, lots of good comments from people. I've helped an awful lot of people, and uh, it, it's, it's, it's very rewarding. Corey can tell you that. She knows. And um, life is good. Tell me about uh, what you said earlier. You make cannabis coconut oil yes, out sir. of a fusion. Tell us, tell us how, you, how you do that. Okay, I, I, I have a, uh, a formula that I've worked out to make my capsules, mm-hmm. and uh, I can make them at different strengths, as I said, so I won't go through all of it, but yeah. let's say I did mention a 6.25 milligram capsule. Mm-hmm. So to make that, I take 120 grams of organic refined or unrefined coconut oil and one gram of the pure cannabis oil. And from that, I get approximately 121 capsules, depending on if I don't spill any as I'm filling them. And then when you when you go further, then if I when I got down to making myself 200 milligram capsules, that's a five to one mix. So five of the coconut oil and, and one gram of cannabis oil makes six capsules. People take that uh, for cancer and other ailments. Cancer and other ailments. Yes, I've I've got quite a few people. Uh, that are using uh, 6.25, 12.5, and 25 milligram for pain issues such as arthritis, fibro. I have a young man here right now working on my computer. Uh, he's using uh, 12.5 milligram for torn rotary cuffs. He's on a permanent disability, and he said he hasn't felt this good in years. Yeah, rotary cuff is tough. Yeah. Yeah, I've, yeah. I've had that too. Yeah, it's painful for months and months and months. Yeah. Yeah, there's there's no doubt in my mind about the the uh, about this product whatsoever, and uh, I'll go to my grave thinking that. And you talked to a lady the other day who is uh, quite appreciative of what that stuff does to the body. Yeah, I want, I want to ask both you and Corey the same question. I'll start uh, with with Corey. Corey, after you got uh, cancer and you eradicated the cancer and you started helping people all over the world. Mm-hmm. And why did you do that? Because I said all along, if this worked, I'd spend the rest of my life telling people about it. It saved my life. Mm-hmm. And everybody knows somebody who's got cancer or else got something else going on. And it was like, how can I not tell people about this? What about you, Jerry? Mine was pretty well the same. I was so appreciative of all of the help that I got. And uh, I come from a family. My father was uh, kind of a man that would always help somebody who was down or help somebody who needed a hand. And I guess I, I, I picked up on that. So I vowed to pay it forward to as many people as I could. And then uh, uh, two years ago when I did my first grow, that was through a friend of mine who gave me clones, helped me plant, helped me do everything. Year two, he gave me clones again. 
And uh, about a week after I had them in the ground, I went to his house to uh, uh, show him about the oil making and, and work with him on making oil. And he died of a heart attack. So I ended up having to clean out. His, he was engaged to my daughter. I ended up cleaning out his home because it was a rental home. And I ended up with all of this uh, product. I had you know a bunch of clones, mother plants and equipment. I sold everything off and I put that money in his son's trust account. I gave some to friends who were going to be growing medicinally and I kept 10 for myself that he had promised me. So I looked at it this way and I got all of this free help, as I said, from Phoenix Tears and, and people like Corey. I got all this material for free. The first year cost me 2500 bucks for a pound and uh, I said, this didn't cost me nothing. What can I do with it? I'm going to help people like I promised myself. So that's what I do. The more I talk to people about this particular uh, issue, uh, the use of cannabis oil, the more I find that uh, the general public seems to be acceptant of it. But when you get to talk to your family, that's when the issues really start to arise. <laughs> yeah. Right, Corey? This is, yeah. This is true. And, and I'm finding that it's, it's mostly the older people. I'm 71, but I, I'm saying people in their 60 and up, you know. Yeah. Those are the ones that are most resistant to the change, but it is understandable. It's it's how we were raised and how we were uh, how we were brought up. Yeah, but they're from the generation of sex, drugs, and rock and roll. Yeah. Why would yeah. Why wouldn't they be more acceptant of it? <laughs> you would think, right? Yeah. <laughs> and then there's there's some young people too that want nothing to do with it. I mean, I have I have three grandchildren and. Uh, I can remember preaching to them about drugs as they were growing up, you know, and hiding my little pipe where I go out for have a little toot, you know. Mm-hmm. Now I've changed my opinion, and I've got uh, one uh, grandkid with some problems, but wants nothing to do with this stuff. It's been drilled into her by her parents, by us, by people at her school, you know, and she's one of those that. It's interesting. The more you research uh, cannabis, the more you find out that it has been used for thousands of years, and there is no documented case of anyone dying from a cannabis overdose. Not one over thousands of years. And but you can, uh, I mean, people are willing to take pharmaceutical drugs from their doctor, even though there are adverse side effects. And uh, it's, it's sometimes there even is the risk of death. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, at one point, Jerry, when my doctor finally was ready to listen to what I had been doing, because initially he, he literally covered his ears and went, la, 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 and didn't yeah. want to know. But when he saw what happened and when he saw me cancer-free, he really changed his tune. And he was saying to me, Corey... Cannabinoids are amazing. Do you know how many people we kill each day with pharmaceuticals? There you go. Yeah. Yes, and properly taken, properly prescribed pharmaceuticals are killing people every single day, yet there has never, ever been one death from cannabis. Yeah. yeah. I, tell, I tell people often, and people ask me about it, I got a, I got a card I printed up, and I, I pass those cards out every chance I get, uh, directing them to your site and directing them to a couple of others. And... Uh, I tell them all the time, listen, it's the way we were raised and the flow of information that is out there was not there when we were growing up. Yeah. How, Jerry, how did you first stumble upon cannabis oil? Like, I'm did sorry? You, how did you first stumble upon cannabis oil? Did you, like, research um, natural cures and the, the, the type of cancer you have or what? 
Well, I, I think at that time, if I recall, I was lying in ICU and I just typed into Google uh, uh, marijuana for medicine or something to that effect. Right. And there was very, very little. But the one page that did bounce right out in, in big print was the Phoenix Here site. Awesome. And there were there were some others, but they were more of the, on the uh, research side, and you know all that kind of kind of stuff. Right, right. We go online now and punch in medicinal cannabis. You get over a million hits in point four one seconds. Jerry, an interesting story. Uh, thank you so much for your time. It was uh, a pleasure to talk to you. My pleasure. Thank, thank you, you very very much. And just before we get to Jennifer May in California, I want to say that Cannabis Health Radio is beginning to offer limited sponsorship opportunities for businesses we think would be a good fit for our audience. The purpose of this podcast is is to inform listeners of the medical benefits of cannabis in order to help as many people around the world as we can to improve their health or the health of a loved one. If sponsorship is something you would be interested in, then send us an email at info at CannabisHealthRadio.com. Let's make a positive difference in the lives of others. Corey, what have you got? If you like what we're doing here at Cannabis Health Radio and you would like to see us continue doing this, then we would encourage you to go to our website and please make a donation. We are a listener-supported radio. We need your help to not only continue our podcast, but to expand the services that we'd like to offer our listeners. What sort of promise does medical cannabis hold for dealing with kids with autism? There's an organization in the United States called Mothers Advocating Medical Marijuana for Autism. The acronym is MAMA. Very appropriate. And joining us from California to tell us her story of dealing with three children with autism is Jennifer May. Jennifer, good to have you on the program today. Thank you. Tell us the story of your autistic children. Um, I have... Three sons on the spectrum. Um, they range from uh, my 23-year-old is what could be considered um, high-functioning or he has Asperger's. He actually was in Wisconsin with my mother, which is where we're originally from. Mm-hmm. Um, that was his choice to stay. And then I have a 21-year-old son who is considered to be at the very severe end of the spectrum He's nonverbal. He is aggressive towards others and um, has a history of self-injury. Um, he's just uh, has some very challenging things going on. Yeah, is that uh, is that and, Nathan? Yes, that is Nathan. Okay. And I also have a 15-year-old son who is somewhere in the middle of the spectrum. Um, doesn't have the behavioral issues, but he's got a lot of communication deficiencies and you know he's just right in between the other two jennifer do we know why uh, all of your children have autism no we don't and i think one of the interesting things about my situation is that my older two sons are from my first marriage and my youngest is with my husband now mm-hmm. um so the there are two different fathers yeah and um, I did not get the youngest one vaccinated until he was um, quite a bit older. He, I think he was 10 or 11 um, because I, I wasn't sure if it was the vaccines that caused it. But he was diagnosed well before um, he got his first vaccine. Mm. So I couldn't tell you. I yeah. have no idea why, how it happened. <laughs> 
Jennifer, tell us about Nathan and uh, his progress and uh, how bad it was at uh, at the worst point and how he's progressed over the last few years. Sure. Um, Nathan has always been a little harder to, to deal with, with, with many different things. Schooling was a challenge with him. He would elope, which is basically taking off and running. Um, he did it from the school. He would do it from the house on occasion, but thankfully he was always supervised and stayed close by. He didn't disappear. But he's always had a one-on-one assistant, which means he had direct supervision. And a lot of the aggression seemed to start right around puberty. And he became a little more violent towards others and towards himself. And eventually that violence escalated to where he knocked the teeth out of a male assistant who was working with him in high school. Uh, He had support staff, uh, like off-duty police officers at the school, who it took four of them to handcuff him and bring him down to the ground when he was sort of running a rampage through the high school, just hurting other students, just randomly out of nowhere. And, and this would happen. It, it wasn't mm-hmm. a one-time situation. Those things did happen. Uh, eventually, we moved from Wisconsin to Missouri because of my husband's job. And it was a very small town. There were very few resources. The schools were wonderful. I, I can't say enough about the teachers that my son had uh, but the district it's on its own and I, I think a lot of it had to do with these aggressive behaviors he was not allowed to continue on in the transition program after he turned 18 and essentially graduated from the traditional high school years mm-hmm. a lot of our children who are more severe will be allowed to attend school until they're 21 or 22 and get extra supports. They work on occupational goals and daily living goals, and he was excluded from that program. And I think a lot of that had to do with the fact that he just was getting out of hand. There weren't many medical or psychiatric resources in that area because it was a very, very small town. And the next closest one was St. Louis, which was about two and a half hours away. So obviously that's not really all that feasible for frequent care either. He began, when he did get out of school, we found a day program for him that would accept him. And they wound up basically kicking him out too because of the aggression towards other consumers. And we were at a point where the the doctors didn't know what to do. Uh, I made repeated attempts to have uh, psychiatric inpatient treatment. And most of the places, if they took him once, would not take him again because they generally use a lot of group therapy in their uh, treatment process. And during group therapy, you obviously have to be able to communicate Mm -hmm. because he's nonverbal. That's you know, that was their reason for not taking him. They also said that they couldn't accept a violent person. So uh, Nate was basically stuck at home doing nothing with no resources. 
and he just became increasingly violent. There, we had numerous holes in our walls. We, I was covered in bruises and scratches. And Jennifer, he would attack you as well, would he? Oh yes, yes. He he would attack me. Um, he he has attacked school staff in the past. I have an 85-pound German Shepherd, and he would pick her up and literally throw her into a wall because she was trying to protect me. She wow. was going after my husband, um, and, and he's he's a big guy. You know, he's he's not a little guy that you can just kind of push around at all, but Nathan, I mean, he just had that adrenaline going and the anger, and um, it was just, it was horrible. I mean, and, and then he started um, scratching himself and biting himself, and he accidentally bit his lip one day when he was at school and it just bothered him so much that he just kept yanking at it and pulling at it and pulling at it and finally half of his bottom lip was just gone it was about the size of a quarter there was like this gaping hole in the side of his face and one psychiatric unit did accept him at that point because he needed 24-hour direct line of sight supervision in order to basically keep his face together. So they, they did take him at that point. Um, they had him on very large doses of Ativan, way more than is really therapeutically okay. You know, it, it, it was just, he was taking two milligrams every four hours, and that's mm. for over a year, year and a half, and that's way more than any doctor would recommend from what I've been told after the fact. Jennifer, you sent uh, me a PowerPoint presentation, and it contains a partial list of uh, prescribed pharmaceuticals, uh, a number of which I have no idea how to pronounce, but uh, there's Valium, uh, Clonidine, Thyraxine, uh, Doxepin, Seroquel, Abilify, Haldol, Ativan, as you mentioned. How many of these were were prescription drugs was he taking at one time? At at the Highest point of pharmaceutical intake, he was on nine different prescriptions, 18 pills a day at once. The maybe four or five times that he was actually admitted inpatient, which was only usually about three days at a time, they would just keep adding on more and more drugs. That's just, that's all they did. And eventually he just, he came home and if he wasn't in a rage, he was sleeping because of all of he would sleep 18 hours a day and then fight five hours a day yeah you know it, it was it was horrible it, it really was and um, my husband has been given the opportunity to transfer again and we had a little more leeway with where we were choosing to go and after researching different states and the, the resources that are available to people with developmental disabilities, we narrowed it down to a few. And then I began researching medical marijuana because we were at the point, actually, I think it was maybe within a month of us, uh, prior to us finding out that we could move, the state of Missouri had earmarked money for him to be placed in alternative care, whether it was a group home or some sort of institutionalization because mm-hmm. it was, I, I just could not handle him anymore. And our caseworker saw it. Um, she, she physically was there at our house one day when he just, 
completely snapped and she jumped up and ran out the front door of the house and called 911. I mean, that's how scared she was. She just, she got up and bolted out of our house. Um, so they were really just trying and, and they couldn't find a place to, to put him. There, there was nowhere to put him and it was bad enough where I was looking for even something temporary just to get us to the move. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't. I, obviously, I wasn't going to leave my my severely disabled child in Missouri, but I just I needed something to help us in that couple months before we actually got on the road. So anyway, so we uh, I came across a video at at some point, and I I saw that it was helping. And I, I think it was a younger child who had aggressive behaviors, and I I'm like, well, you know, that's really what do we have to lose? Um, this was a video. This was a video on on cannabis. It, it was a video. Um, it was a child who had been taking some kind of cannabis oil, and I, I mm. don't remember what it was because this was about three years ago now. If well, probably closer to four years. Right. Okay. Um, but it was just some kind of video, and I, I just I couldn't believe it. You know, the 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 child in the video was hitting themselves until they were just bloody and bruised and. Then all of a sudden they took whatever it was, whatever part of the cannabis, and it stopped. And it just blew my mind that something like that could help. And so we we pushed to come to California, and luckily we were um, able to to move here with my husband's company. Before I could even get him on cannabis, I had to call the police here. Um, He did put a hole in our wall here, which we've patched. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, it was just sort of the same thing that, that was happening in Missouri started here. And I eventually, I think it took us about three months to get him into, into the, the, the cannabis doctor's office after we got all of our residential paperwork and everything squared away. I didn't really even know what to do. I, I walked into a, sp- a dispensary and just, this isn't my thing. You know, I, mm-hmm. I don't know any of the terminology at this point. I don't know. I have no idea what an indica even is, or yeah. <laughs> you know what, what what CBD means or anything. So luckily, they they did give me a little bit of guidance, and we went home. And I actually had him um, vape right away. That was the very first thing that he did. Um, he vaped an oil, and within minutes. I could see a change of in his demeanor. I mean, he, I could see hmm. that he was calm and he had a little bit of a smile on his face. And um, we continued vaping and we started using the edibles too with him. And by the third day, he was smiling and, and you could just see it in his face that he's present. He's just He's here. He's in our world. He's not in that autism bubble. His communication mm-hmm. still hasn't really um, improved with it, but he's happy. He's calm. And it took us seven months, but he is completely pharmaceutical-free except for his insulin. Um, he's insulin-dependent diabetic. So, But he only takes cannabis now, and um, it's a whole plant. And the, he mainly takes uh, higher doses of heavy indicas, their THC. Mm-hmm. Um, actually, CBD can trigger more aggression for him, and so do sativa strains. Mm. 
so we have to be, you know, pretty careful with yeah. Yeah. what we pick up for him and what we give him. And um, but he's he is doing so much better. I don't have any more holes in my walls. I <laughs> I think that he's caused bruises maybe twice since last June when mm-hmm. we started this. Um, we're in a, it, it was daily before. We're no longer looking for alternative living for him. He is in a day program that he enjoys. We've been able to go to theme parks, which weren't even in the realm of possibility with him up until last year. Sounds like you were kind of living in a personal hell, and now it's almost yes. like you're in heaven. Yes. I, I can't believe the, the difference. I mean, it's it's amazing to me that this one little plant that is illegal, according to the federal government, is healing my son, and it is improving his life more than anything that any kind of a doctor could give us before. Yeah. It's it's mind-blowing to me that they're saying, you can't have this, and that his happiness is a byproduct of something that they're deeming as a dangerous, illegal substance. That just it doesn't make any sense to me now. No, None. you're absolutely right. It doesn't make sense. Does Nathan know, I mean, this may sound like a dumb question, but does Nathan know that cannabis is actually good for him and is helping him? I do believe he knows. Um, he he actually, right now we, we tend to use vaping, and, and now he's um, he's vaping the butt itself. He's, he's no mm-hmm. longer on oils. He's, he's vaping the plant. And we kind of use that as our rescue dose, which we're, if he's starting to escalate or get agitated, I'll have him vape. And that generally stops any kind of agitation before it even starts. It can stop a meltdown in its tracks. Hmm. Um, and he seems to understand that the longer he sucks on it to, um, to inhale the materials, the, the better he is. And I, I think the more agitated he is, he takes really long drags, and I, I let him self-regulate. Mm-hmm. I, I, you know, I turn it on and I get it set up for him, and it's it's just amazing to me that he kind of just picked it up. And even just the the whole activity of um, or the, the action of vaping itself. I mean, how how do you explain how to do that to someone who is nonverbal? I mean, mm-hmm. there, there's really no way to to try to get that across. But he just picked it up like that, just. Boom, and he, and he knows. Yeah, it's almost an intuitive um, thing that he knows uh, this might help him. Have you noticed over the months that he's been on cannabis oil that there is continuous improvement? And tell me a bit about, um, you say he's nonverbal. Do you see that changing in the future? Not really with him. He's He has randomly picked up words, but... The the use the the continued usage of them is very fleeting. He might have a new word come up and something we've never heard before, but then he might say it one or two times and that's it. Um, so I really don't think, at least in his situation, that cannabis will necessarily bring his communication to a, a higher point. But I I know from other parents that they've definitely experienced that. Um, but Nathan is, is quite severely impaired. Uh, mm-hmm. the, the cannabis has helped him, whereas the yeah. pharmaceutical drugs just made him aggressive and were doing and had no uh, medicinal value at all. 
Absolutely none, from what I can understand. Not really. I mean, the only good that it would really do for him is basically it would honestly make him sleepy to give us a little bit of a break so we weren't getting beat up all the time. Yeah. Um, There really wasn't much regulation or improvement with his behaviors at all. I mean, it was... And like I said, they, they just kept piling on. So so the doctors obviously knew that it wasn't working either because rather than switching, they just kept putting more and more and more on him. And eventually they're just, they, they threw their hands up and just, we don't know what to do. There's really nothing more we can do for you. Jennifer, have you tried uh, yeah. cannabis with your other children? Um, my oldest one has not tried it. He does live in a state where it's not legal at this point. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm hoping that he does move here sometime in the future. I, I would love to have him here. Um, and I, I do think it would help because he has some social issues that I think it would really it would really benefit some of the, the problems he has with clearly communicating with people. I mean, verbally, he's he's fine. I mean, you know... <laughs> He's, he has no problem actually communicating with words, but it's just the, the social conversations is, is what he gets a little bit tied up with. Yeah. So I, I think that would maybe help him with that. And my 15-year-old, I'm still, um, he does have a recommendation, and he has had one. Um, in fact, it's about renewal time now. Um, but it, it helps him with sleep. We are getting a little more communication with him, but he is my next project so to speak, now that mm-hmm. I have Nathan um, about 90 to 95% in, in control, probably is ever, yeah, in, in, in a great place. Mm-hmm. Now I can kind of turn my focus a little bit more to my 15-year-old, and um, but he does take it at night because his internal clock can get very flipped upside down. Mm-hmm. So it does help with that, and... Um, he has uh, the 15 year old has quite a few sensory issues and um, he does have some anxieties so that that is definitely something that I will be working on very quickly here it, you know now that again Nathan is just about as perfect as he can possibly be <laughs> Jennifer give us uh, in conclusion here give us a plug for mothers advocating medical marijuana for autism tell us about uh, it's a United States organization so tell us about that uh, the work that you folks do and the number of uh, the number of kids you help all over the United States I have no idea how many children mama have actually helped out but it has to number quite high. I, I, they're, they're very much into locating resources and, and other families to help each other. Um, they really advocate for legislators to include not only medical marijuana in states, but adding autism as a qualifying condition. Um, really having whole plant access, not just CBD, because a lot of our kids, as I mentioned with Nate, um, it seems like the more severely impaired the the child or the adult is, the less favorably they respond to CBD, or at least CBD alone. Um, many of them do need the THC, and that's really what mamas, you know, what what their petition is 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 trying to get whole plant cannabis to our children on the spectrum who really could possibly benefit for, from it, just like my son and 
countless other children and adults that I know of, and you know, I, I've spoken directly with their parents, and you know, it's it, it's an amazing thing, and and it just it breaks my heart that there are families out there who just don't have access to it just because of what their zip code. Yeah, absolutely. Jennifer, do you have trouble convincing uh, parents of children with autism that cannabis may be may help their children? Not really. I think given well, the given it, the frustration it, you expressed uh with with having to deal with your kids, I think uh probably parents with autistic kids are just looking for any solution that would help them. They are. I, I think that there's a lot of frustration in the states where it's not legal, or at least if if it is legal and autism is a qualifying condition, a lot of them just they just don't know how to even go about getting it, and um, it's just it's frustrating for them, especially because I'm I'm from a state um, originally that it's not legal basically in any shape or form to anybody. You know, and, and these parents, I, I share our story quite a bit, and I know a lot of them are just really upset that they can't legally try the same thing with their children and mm-hmm. or with their um, adult children. So um, it's just it's really hard to to just know that they're they're struggling and they're they're putting their their loved ones into group homes or. They just can't do it anymore. They they can't handle the behaviors, and this might be such a simple solution to keeping families together and to keep people in their homes where they're loved and they're cared for by family and not by hired staff. So it's Jennifer. I want I, to uh, I want to thank you for telling your story and bringing this to the public's attention. That. Uh, how marijuana and medical cannabis has helped your child. And uh, I think uh, my hat's off to you because, boy, you've had a heck of a job. Thank you. (laughs) It's a remarkable story from Jennifer May in California. We welcome your comments on our podcast. Our email address is info at CannabisHealthRadio.com. If you have any suggestions or you'd like to comment, uh, please feel free to send us an email. Wherever you are in the world, thanks for listening. For Corey Yelland, I'm Ian Jessup. You've been listening to the Cannabis Health Radio podcast. Visit our website, CannabisHealthRadio.com and follow us on Facebook and Twitter. Thanks for listening to today's show. To check out more great cannabis podcasts, go to podconnects.com. Here's a preview of one of our other shows. Hey friends, I'm Brandon and I'm Saba and we are your host of the Cannabis Hangout podcast, an educational platform to connect with the cannabis community and share personal stories while breaking the stigma of marijuana. Join us every Sunday at 7 p.m. to gain valuable insight with different perspectives from industry leaders, growers, and medical marijuana patients. This is a place to learn so much from different angles in the cannabis industry. So tune in while we break it all down.